So here's, the, here's where I want to start this morning, and it's really asking you this question. Have you ever been so frustrated in a situation? Have you ever been so caught up and, and fed up that, that when you're talking to somebody, you say, listen, I'm not trying to please you. I'm following through, doing the right things. And I think for sure some of us had, have had that thought, in particular as a parent, Listen, I'm not trying to be your friend. I'm trying to teach you what's right. Or how many of you uh, growing up or have been found guilty saying this, this hurts me more. You want to finish that? Then this hurts you. And short story before, I get, before we move on past that, the first time that I ever had to punish our oldest son, I cried more than he did. And that's honest. You can ask Melanie later. She'll tell you how big of a baby I am when it comes to that. But it hurts me more than it hurts you. Or how about this? I don't care what Susie's family does. That's not what we do in this family, right? And, it, and the whole thing about this is the same reason that we don't allow a toddler to operate heavy equipment, right? No matter how convincing they are, no matter how much they scream, no matter how much they say they just want to, we understand that there are just some things that you just don't do. You don't let a toddler operate a forklift, a backhoe, a steamroller, a motor vehicle. I mean, none of those things, right? And it's the same reason, these reasons that are behind this is the same reason that if you were following behind an armored truck and a bag of money fell off, that you would pick it up and return it, right? Because we understand this, that there are consequences when we ignore our core values. We see this play out in the world, we see it play out on the big stage, in big corporations, and in all kinds of places where you have a person that's in charge of an organization and they shirk their responsibility and they cause all kinds of havoc for their stockholders, for their employees, for the product. We experience it when we see people that have lost their hard-earned retirement because of a greedy charlatan. It's the same way that just one time turns into one more time, or much worse. So how much then does our integrity, our forthrightness, our core values, how much does who we are as a person, how much does it withstand the temptations that we see? I found a recent survey of 1,500 people, and it was asked them what they would do for $10,000. So just think about it for just a second. What would you do for $10,000? It turns out that 300 people of these 1,500, well, they would steal. They would steal a street sign, they would shoplift, or they would be indecent in public. 150 people for $10,000 would lie under oath. They would steal a bike, or they would spend $10,000 in counterfeit money. What would they do for 100,000? Turns out that 25% of them would marry a complete stranger. For a million, 
what would you do for a million? Well, it turns out 10% of the people, they'd smuggle drugs. So it turns out that love of money can override our moral compass. And it can override possibly your own. What about you? What would it take for you to walk away from Jesus? Now, pastor, that's not what that survey was about. I know it wasn't. But what tempts you to walk away from Jesus? What are the things that drive you to be less committed to your heavenly father? What is it that makes you less passionate, less passionate about his word, about prayer, about engaging in the body? What are those things that cause you to walk away? What is it that causes you to not seek deepening your relationship with Jesus? What is it that causes you to neglect worship, to neglect gathering together as the body? What is it that causes you to abandon prayer? For most of us, it's not something that we decide in a moment. It's a temptation that kind of sneaks in, and it slowly moves us away step by step. And normally, it's not those heinously wrong things that pull us away. It's those seemingly good things, the things that cause us to walk away are things like increased family responsibility, a work responsibility, a new school, increased commitments in other ways, a new relationship, a schedule change, sports, even our vacations, or seeking rest. But to be honest, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. There's nothing wrong with, with having good responsibility to your family or in your work or changing schools or having a new relationship or any of those things. There's nothing wrong with any of that stuff in and of itself. But when you start asking, how does it happen? It happens in those small ways, the ones that we don't really notice. So then for a church, what causes a church to move away from Jesus? It's many of those same things, plus routines. The routines of a, of a church honestly pulling it further and further away from its mission. The habits, the traditions, the policies, the rituals, the immediate needs, they overshadow the most important mission of the church. So how bad then does it have to get? How bad does it have to get until somebody stands up for the leader to stand up and say, I don't need your approval. I don't need it, and I'm not seeking to please you. And it turns out that these words came from the Apostle Paul. And when we read, we're starting this book of Galatians, and when we read, I don't want you to ignore the level of frustration or the directness of the comment that Paul delivered in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. He says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I, try or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, because there was a time 
when Paul's attention was very much directed towards pleasing those that were around him. If I were still trying to please man, there was a time that for Paul it really mattered to him. But he says, if I were still trying to do that, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I wanted to appease man or be approved by man, Paul says, listen, I'd still be a Pharisee. I would still be a follower of the devout law and teaching it and imposing it on others. I would not be a servant of Jesus. 15 or 20 years, 15 or 20 years about after Jesus died on the cross and after Jesus' resurrection, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Galatia. It was a church that he had previously started. So Paul, in his, in his missionary journey, he, he went from town to town along the Mediterranean rim, around the Mediterranean Sea. And as Paul went, he established churches, and in those churches, he established leaders, and those leaders would then continue to gather as the church. And in one of these churches that he had previously started, he had heard through the grapevine, he had heard about what was going on, either through writings or from from a uh, courier kind of thing, or from just people around knowing that there are issues that have popped up in the church in Galatia. There were some people who had began to add to the gospel. They had started adding things to the gospel of Jesus. Now, it's, it's common, it's common for the church to assume that the, the gospel is mainly just for non-Christians. How many of you, as you think about the gospel, you're like, well, that's really only to get people to come to faith in Jesus. Then after that, you have to learn all kinds of other things, and you have to be all kinds of other things. And it's just really that, that thing that kind of kicks you into heaven, but doesn't really do anything after that. Sometimes we feel that the gospel is only a way to get people into the kingdom of God. So we have completed three weeks of gospel conversations. We looked in depth, we looked in depth at God's design, our brokenness, and the gospel. And each one of us have been encouraged to pray for two people that didn't know or we weren't sure if they knew Jesus. How many of you are continuing in your commitment? I hope you are. I hope that you're spending time in prayer for these people, looking for an opportunity to tell them about the goodness and the grace and the mercy that can only come through Jesus, an answer to their brokenness, and that you're finding opportunities to engage in gospel conversations with people regardless of if you know them or not. And last week, last week Justin spoke about one decision can change your life. And we're thankful for Justin. He did an outstanding job. And he spoke with so much conviction and thoughtfulness. Very grateful, very grateful to hear from him. So I want to ask this question that I think many of you will resonate with. And it's just basically this. Besides beyond, beyond becoming a Christian, what is the purpose of the gospel? Now, truth be told, you probably have not been brave enough to ask this question in church. But chances are you have asked this question more than once over the course of your life. 
because we think maybe that salvation is the only purpose of the gospel. But I think this question is valid, and I think it's valid, and, and, and we're going to look at it in our time here. We're going to unpack it, because in my estimation, determination, resolve, resourcefulness, resoluteness, integrity, grit, all of these words come to mind as I think through the impact of the gospel in my own life. And it got me to thinking. We assume that once we convert, we no longer need to study the gospel. And then we have to move on to more advanced teaching. Now, as Paul traveled and went on his journeys, he repeatedly brought the people that he interacted with, the churches that he interacted with, back to a core and unmovable truth. The gospel is the Christian life. The gospel is the Christian life. It's the way to live. It's the way to be transformed. It's the way to become the church. It's a way to change the community. It is the way that Jesus transforms absolutely everything. The word had gotten to Paul that the church in Galatia had changed, that there was something going on, a new teaching happening, and it was not good in his estimation. They had added requirements. They had added requirements to the observances, uh, added their old observances from their previous tradition into the worship of Christ, into the actions of the church. And they had elevated these options, these requirements, these observances to being part of of salvation. They developed a Jesus plus gospel. So Paul, determined to correct the group, brought the core understanding and focus back into play for this young church that was misguided, possibly by some well-intentioned leaders. Now, if you're, um, if you're a teacher, I apologize for this statement, but it's Christ we lose when the gospel is added to. If you don't know why that's wrong, it's about participles, okay? That one's dangling, but I like it. It's Christ we lose when the gospel is added to. Paul begins his letter with, with a little reminder as to why he has the ability to bring into view this, pos, this problem in their gospel. He's, he begins his letter to address what's going on in Galatia, and he says this beginning in, ch in chapter 1, verse 1. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man. Paul brings quickly into view in this letter Firmly that his place as an apostle has nothing to do with what these men say about him. He firmly establishes that his authority is not of or by men, but instead it's from Jesus, from the gospel. He's going to write to them what they will soon discover. He says, but through Jesus Christ. 
I am an apostle through Jesus and God the Father who raised him from the dead. His encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus established his apostleship. And it brought with it his authority to bring the fullness and understanding of the gospel. Not just to the place that he was, but to the whole world. But Paul says, listen, it's, it's all about this, but it's also all the brothers who are with me. I'm not the only one that's compelled to tell you that what you're believing is misguided. It's not just me. It's those who are here with me. We have an issue that we need to talk about to the churches of Galatia. To the churches of Galatia. This is a group of churches not just one church. As we, you know, when we think about these things in our context, we think about um, this, right? When Paul was talking to the churches of Galatia, he was talking about the small churches that were meeting in homes and common areas around that area. To the churches, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we can learn a lot from Paul, from how he communicates with others, from the position of a heart that is right with humility in Christ. He starts out, he says, listen, uh, just so we're not mistaken, my authority doesn't come from you, it comes from Jesus, and I want to give to you grace and peace. Paul intends to cover them in those who are in error with grace and with peace that comes from God. Basically, I'm about to drop the shoe on you, and I hope that you receive this rebuke with the intentionality of my heart that it's filled with the grace and the peace and the love that comes from our Heavenly Father. Paul continues, Christ, in Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God our Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul sets up this letter and says, basically, everything else that follows, everything else we are about to push out in this letter is intended to bring glory to God. And that's something very important for us to understand because Paul, he's writing to people who profess to be Christians. This isn't a letter written to people who don't know. It's written to people who should know. He's communicating to them they must continually learn, continually learn to apply the gospel in, the, in their lives. The gospel of grace, it's precious. And the leaders had been teaching other things. Verse 6. I am astonished that. I could not be more surprised. I cannot believe. Any of you have a parent that would, you know, anytime that you did something wrong, they're like, I can't believe your grandmother would roll in her grave. Or, you know, anyone have that? Okay, same kind of deal here. I am astonished. In fact, I am dumbfounded. I have no idea how this happened. I can't believe the word that has come to me, Paul says. You are so quickly deserting 
Him who called you in the grace of Christ. And with that statement, the hearts sink as they hear this word being spoken. You are so quick to desert. You are so quick to walk away, to move away from the free gift through Jesus and are turning to a different gospel. You are being tempted and you are committing to a different teaching. You heard it, it sounded good, and it seemed hard, so it must be better, more devout, so I think this one might be better. They began to teach a different gospel than the one of grace. Listen, you're turning to a different one, but Paul says not that there actually is another one. Any other gospel is not the gospel at all. Any other way to righteousness before God is not the gospel. He says, but there are some. There are some who want to trouble you and distort the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm so glad that doesn't happen in today's church. I'm glad that we don't have people that distort and and add to the gospel. So this is kind of like a history lesson, really. Why would any change to the gospel make it null and void? Why would a change to the gospel as revealed through Jesus Christ, why would any change to it make it void? It's simply this, because any change of the gospel comes from us, not God. He is the one who orders the gospel of grace. And it goes this way. God accepts us, then we follow him. This is what makes Christianity different from any other religion. In other religions, we give God a gift, we give God something, and then he accepts us. Paul is calling out the thing that is happening here in the church of Galatia. Adding to the gospel equals a gospel reversal, which means that it's Christ we lose when the gospel is added to. Any teaching that adds keeping Mosaic ceremonial law to faith in Christ, it perverts, it literally reverses the gospel. If you add anything to Christ for salvation, if you add anything beyond the the reality that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and it's through him that we have eternal life, if you add anything else, if you add church attendance to it, if you add keeping this dietary law to it, if you add anything else beyond the gospel of grace, you have perverted the gospel. You have You begin to say things like, others need the grace of Jesus and they need to wear the right kind of shoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Accept Jesus and um, never cut your hair. We make the gospel void when we bring a revision to it because it reverses the gospel. In verse 7, he says that there is no other gospel. 
there's no adding to the gospel. Works-based salvation will never get you there. If your faith is in your work, if it's in the things that you do, it's in your observance, in the way that you go about practicing your religion, your faith is in your actions, your work, and it's not in the work of Christ. And this, my friends, is the struggle of the church. We want to add requirements. We want to add a requirement to salvation. Yes, but this, yes, and this, additional rules, additional observances beyond Jesus. And when we do that, we lose the gospel. We are far more sinful than we dare believe. But we are more accepted through Christ than we could ever hope. We are lost without Christ alone. So we walk away from Jesus. We walk away from Jesus and we lose the gospel when we say surrender to Christ plus this belief and this behavior. Here's the thing. We are saved by faith in Christ. We're not saved through our level of faith. It, if, if we feel that we're saved by our level of faith, which how do you measure your level of faith? Well, of course it has to come through like, uh, things like church attendance and perfect attendance and uh, if I got a check for bringing my Bible and if uh, somebody saw me at church and if I actually sing in the worship service rather than mouthing the words. If our performance brought salvation, I tell you what, I'm in trouble. Our salvation is about the object of our faith. It is not the level of our faith that saves us. When we ascribe our adherence and our level of faith as a terms of salvation, you know what happens? We end up having to work tirelessly to stay saved. Have you ever been in that place where you feel, I don't know what else I can do because I don't actually know if I feel saved. And you do activity after activity and you give and you, and you volunteer and you memorize and you're doing all of these things just so that you can stay saved. If your salvation depended on your action, you're in trouble. Because I know the person I look at in the mirror. And I know that person does some good things. But I also know that person, if his salvation depended on him, you might as well throw in the towel right now. We lose the gospel. And we, we lose the gospel and we walk away from Jesus when we say, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're loving and good. Because this slips us into this idea that people, that good people will find God. Now, honestly, that sounds open-minded, right? 
who am I to judge? You know, they were a good person. And, you know, what do you say? You know, you, you think about this a lot of times when funerals come around, right? Well, they were just such a good person. And I can't believe that God would allow a good person to go to a bad place, right? It sounds open-minded. It sounds optimistic. But it neglects the grace of God. It teaches that your good works can get you to God. Saying good people get to God ignores the gospel of Jesus. And it makes it exclusive. Good things only happen to good people, so do more good, right? But as far as I've read in the scriptures, good people and bad people are invited to come. The gospel is for everyone. Anyone can come to God through faith in Christ. This also encourages people to think, if you're tolerant and if you're just open, you're pleasing to God. But what this does, that, that attitude, oh, listen, I, I, you know, I just let people be who they are. You know, that it doesn't matter. You know, I love everybody. I'm open to any way to get to God. I'm open to any way of living your life. You know, just as long as you don't hurt people, as long as you're a good person, you know, whatever you want to do, it'll be fine. That attitude brings heaps glory on ourselves and it negates the need. It negates the need for grace in our lives. It ignores our sin and their sin and it steals the glory from God. So we also lose the gospel when we walk away from Jesus and we hold traditions with intolerance. When we hold traditions and customs with intolerance. The false teachers of Galatia, as we'll see as we continue on through the book in, in, this, um, in this series, we're going to see that they were imposing many old rules and regulations that had to do with dress with diet and ritual observances. And we see this come out in highly authoritarian, ritualized, or legalistic churches. More attention gets placed on, on things like the right way. What is the right way for you to eat? What are the right things for you to eat? Uh, what, can, what do you have to avoid? What do, you, what do you have to take in? What is it that, that you just push away? And what are the things that bring you closer to God through the things that you consume? When we have, have churches that are more concerned about the way that you dress, the clothes that you wear, whether they're the right label, the right fit, the right cut, the right layers, the way that you schedule your time. Obviously, you will be saved if you attend every time that the doors are open. Any, anyone grow up in that? You will be saved if you do the right ritual. You do the right thing at the right time with the right face. These are highly controlled and closely monitored authoritarian ritualized, legalistic churches, which then begs the question, how can we know? How can we know the gospel? How can we know which one is the right one? 
Paul says, listen, we're going to get to that. But here's one thing that I need you to know before we get there. Paul lays it out for everyone. He says, starting in verse 8, but even if we, Paul is including himself in this statement, even if we or an angel from heaven, even if we or, or some majestic being, there will not be another revelation, he's telling us, as some other religions have claimed. There will not be another word. But even if we or an angel for, from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, listen, there's only one, there's no other, let him be accursed. As we've said it before, Paul says, so I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. Paul's saying, my authority as an apostle, my authority to write this letter to you, it comes from the authority of the gospel, not the other way around. We need to evaluate and judge teaching with the biblical gospel because the gospel is the plumb line of the church, all the body. The truth that we know, that we understand, that we learn is filtered through the gospel of Jesus, not our personal experience. Thankfully, it's not filtered through our emotions, our feelings, and it's not filtered through our personal convictions, but it's filtered through the truth of the gospel. And adding anything to the gospel is to walk away from Jesus. To abandon gospel theology is to abandon Christ personally. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ and nothing else. As soon as you add anything else, the gospel is lost. We are assured of the gospel being the basis of Paul's actions. As he recounts how he encountered and how he was called by God. In, in verse 11, Paul says, For I would have you know that the gospel that I preach, it wasn't from me. The gospel that was preached by me was not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. This wasn't just a message that I picked up the way, along the way, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this was a huge deal. This is a really big deal, particularly for Paul, because if you, uh, if you uh, remember in the book of Acts, uh, Luke's account of, of what happened after Jesus ascended, the book of Acts, the road to Damascus experience for the apostle Paul, that encounter that Paul had that changed him completely. And not only did it change things for Paul, it changed things for the entire Gentile world. Paul had this revelation of Jesus Christ, and he says, you have heard, you've heard of my former life in Judaism. 
I persecuted the church. We found that in the book of Acts and the stoning of Stephen. It was Paul that was standing back holding the coats of those that were stoning this martyr of the faith. I persecuted the church violently. Paul was the one that asked for a letter to go from place to place to destroy the followers of the way, to imprison them, to to beat them, to take them forcibly out of their homes, to destroy people that were following after Jesus. Paul was that guy. He says, listen, all of these things used to be true of me until I met Jesus on the road. I was advancing in Judaism, extremely zealous, extremely devoted. I knew the laws. I knew how to impose them. I knew how to interpret them. I knew how to make sure that I could say if you were following them. I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. I was completely immersed and committed to the law. I had the zealous works of a works-based life down to a T. And I think Paul, likely with a lump in his throat and a tear in his eye, pulls back and looks at the wide, full view of the grace of God, the, the very grace that he is championing and determined to keep pure in the churches. And he says with certainty and humility, he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. God called Paul and he responded with belief. He moved forward in obedience. And then Paul had to then learn to understand the implication of the gospel in every area of his life. Just think about that for a moment. An extremely zealous Jewish person observing the hundreds of rules and ordinances and commitments that you have to take in order to be a good Jewish rabbi. He encounters Jesus on the road. Jesus changes his life, rocks his world, leaves him blind so that he could finally see the truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In understanding that gospel, he then has to walk through all of these things that he thought made him right with God. His observance, his piety, everything about his way of life. And as Paul had to filter through the implications of the gospel in his life, do you know what happened? People noticed. Verse 23. They noticed and they said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And that's our hope in life. That's my prayer for you. 
is that the truth of the gospel would change you, change us forever. And that we would learn what it truly looks like to walk in the new, in the newness of Christ. My prayer for you is that you don't lose the gospel. Would you pray with me?